Tick-tock, tick-tock, thus goes the clock. Real time. We sleep in real time. We eat in real time. We work in real time. We play in real time. But what about our Christian faith? Do we live it out, really, in real time? Join us for the sermon series, Christianity in Real Time. Take your Bibles and uh, turn to James chapter 1, James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. While you're turning there, I want to uh, ask you to uh, do something when services are over, both in here and particularly over in the fellowship hall that will help us. Uh, some of you will understand this, some of you will not like it. But I don't know whether you know that every Sunday when we leave here, we have a team of men that uh, fog our church. They sanitize the educational building and the fellowship hall so we can come back on Sunday night. And they take that seriously and they do a great job. And I'm thankful for these men. But you ought, you know this. They can't leave until when? You leave. And so if you're hanging around, they're they're not able to fog. So help us out, uh, show genuine love for them and what they're doing. And uh, when the services are over, no, uh, nobody likes to do this, but uh, just go on and leave, visit outside, not today. <laughs> so they can get in there and get our building fog so uh, we can, they can go home and be with their families where they need to be and and then we can regather on um, Sunday night. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless." Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, would you now bring by your Holy Spirit illumination not only to your word that is given to us inerrantly and infallibly, by your Holy Spirit, but to our minds and hearts that we might receive it 
and know that it is your absolute truth and ask, even in these moments, that your Holy Spirit would do in our hearts this day through your word what only you can do to bring us into increasing conformity to the Lord Jesus, whom we love and desire to worship and serve. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, the book of James is written in the context of a church that is seeking to know and to learn and to live out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What does Christianity look like in real time? Well, James wants to give us that answer, and he begins by telling us that if we're going to live out what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we can never do so without wisdom. So if we lack wisdom, and we all lack wisdom, what we do is we ask God, and God will give us wisdom. The way that God gives us wisdom is through His Word. You don't go away in a corner somewhere and and uh, just be silent and say, God, would you please give me wisdom? I'm going to wait here until I have some sign or you show me some, some way that I can know that it is from you. You pick up the Bible, uh, you read the Word of God, you study the Word of God, you listen to the Word of God, you gather regularly and routinely under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Sunday morning worship, Sunday evening worship, be a part of a Sunday school class, maybe even a Bible study group, and you're listening to God's Word. And as you're listening to God's Word, you grow in the knowledge of God. And the way, and the more you grow in the knowledge of God, the more you build a solid foundation for God to give you much needed wisdom. And we all need wisdom, and wisdom comes from knowing God. Knowing God comes from knowing His Word. We need wisdom for trials, and all of us face trials. We need wisdom for this time in which we live, any time in which we live, and particularly for us in this time, and we need wisdom for facing temptation. So James opens his book by telling us that if we're going to live the way we're called and commanded to live uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, if we're going to live lives for the glory of God under the authority of the word of God, we must have wisdom. And then in chapter 1, verse 19, James turns to real time, real issues, real struggles, real concerns, And the rest of the book is James laying out for us what Christianity looks like when it's lived out in real time. Now, there are two dangers that I want to warn us about as we make that turn together this morning and begin to look at what Christianity looks like really when it's really lived out in real time, because I believe that the book of James is a very dangerous book to teach. And I believe it's a dangerous book to teach because of how it can be misinterpreted, misapplied, and misunderstood. Here's the first danger. Do you know that there are people who read the book of James just like they read the Sermon on the Mount and they conclude it's all idealistic. It's up there in a dream world. 
It's what we should strive for, but I don't know anybody that lives this way. It's, it's just idealistic. It's, it's something we should read and reflect on, but not really take seriously. That would be a mistake. That would be a serious mistake because James is a part of the inerrant and infallible and sufficient Word of God, and it's speaking to us in the midst of the practical circumstances of daily life. Now, here's the second. The second danger is that we turn the book of James into a law book that legislates for us morality that we are to work hard to be this kind of person and when we fail, we are just to beat ourselves up as horrible, useless, worthless, slum-like failures. That would be a mistake too. Because the book of James is not given to us as a legalistic moral code. It is given to us about what life looks like when we are being transformed daily by the grace and mercy of God. So there are three truths that we need in place as we turn this corner and maybe from time to time, because I'm forgetful and I can forget these truths from time to time, I will just throw them up on the uh, screen and you can read them. Uh, on the screen. I won't detail them every time. Here are the three truths. Truth number one, they're on the screen for you. I hope you can see the screen. One of the things I hope to see as I'm doing this outline on the screen as we move forward, and I'm thankful for Greg and Cindy Brogan and all they do for us, but one of the things we've got to have is a bigger screen in the back that I can read, or I've got to get better eyes. I see that there are words up there. That's why I wrote them down on paper. I can see this paper. Here's truth number one. The desire of every believer at the core of who we are is to please God by obeying his word. If you are a child of God, there is at the core of your heart a desire to please God. It's there. It's not there because you put it there. It's there because the Holy Spirit lives in you and the Holy Spirit put it there. And you want to please God by obeying the word of God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 9. We were here last week. Let's go back there and this is what Paul says. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9, whether we are at home or away, that is, whether we're in heaven or we're on earth, we make it our aim to please Him. This is our goal, our desire as a child of God, because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what He has done in the body, whether good or evil. We want to do that which brings pleasure to God. One of the best books I've read in the last 10 years is a little book called Back to Jerusalem. It is about the house church movement in China, the underground church in China, uh, where God is using the underground church to make a significant difference in this communist country. To be a Christian in China is demanding and difficult. The only way it can be easy is to be a part of the church 
that is uh, permitted to be in existence by the state. But to be a part of that church requires that you compromise your commitment, your absolute commitment to love for and loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. So God has raised up an underground church and that underground church faces lots and lots of persecution. In this book, Back to Jerusalem, they make a distinction between disciples, those who are faithful to Jesus, and believers, those who profess to be faithful to Jesus, but compromise their commitment in order to receive the benefits of the Chinese government. This is what they write, and I quote, true disciples are usually people that very few understand. They are viewed as potentially unstable fanatics. Often governments will tolerate believers within their borders, that is, those who profess to be Christians, but they live like the rest of the world is living. But with those who are disciples, they will use every means to eradicate disciples. End quote. David Platt says, this is the Christian life, a life devoted to doing what the Word of God says. That's truth number one. It has to be foundational. You can't be a child of God, transformed by the grace of God, and not desire to obey God. Truth number two. We are all sinners who sin. And so most days there is at some level a conflict between what we desire and what we do. Satan wants you to pursue your sinful desires. Now, Satan will never whisper to you, hey, that's a sin, you need to do that. No. He makes sin alluring and enticing, attractive and fulfilling. He makes it look good. Now, you need to know this. Satan has no power in your life that you do not let him have. God, through the cross and resurrection of Jesus, has forever defeated Satan. One of the most horrible views you can have of God and the devil is to think they're in conflict with each other. That they're at war with each other. They're not. The enemy has been forever defeated. His kingdom has been destroyed. His purposes have been decimated. He has been devastated. And he's mad. So he comes after the children of God. Now look at Ephesians chapter number 6. And then we're going to Colossians 1.18. Ephesians chapter 6, listen to what Paul says here in verses 11 through 13. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes or the methods of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, over this present world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We wrestle, not God. We, we wrestle because we're sinners who sin. And we listen to what the world says that entices us, allures us, 
Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Listen to what it says. He is, uh, he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That's our memory verse. You need to memorize it. But the text that's on the screen is not Colossians 1.18. It's Colossians 3.8. Look at it. This is what Paul says. Now, you must put then away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, which is profanity from your mouth. These are the things that show that we are sinners who sin. This is our conflict. This is the conflict you and I as believers face every day of our lives. We desire to obey God. If you're a believer, you can say right now from in your heart, yes, yes, indeed. But I'm a sinner who sins. And I fight these desires, these urges. I have these struggles. Here's the third truth. We are brought into a relationship with God through the grace and mercy of God. We are sustained in this relationship with God by the grace and mercy of God. We are being sanctified or being made holy or being more like, made more like Jesus by the grace and mercy of God. Do you recognize, child of God, that you will never be saved by what you do morally and ethically and spiritually? Never. You can't be. When you stand before God, what you will plead on that day is what you plead every day, the grace and mercy of God. And he's abundant in grace and he's rich in mercy And he bestows it upon us so that because of his grace and mercy, we may give in to struggles. We may give in to the seductions of Satan. We may listen to the enticements of this world and live by them. But at some point, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we see our flaws and failures that we sin and fall short of the glory of God and we not only come in repentance, we hate our sin. We hate our sin. The thing that is most difficult for me to process with what has been revealed about Ravi Zacharias is not the presence of sin in his life. There's sin in every life in this room that could be worse than his. What I can't process is the persistence of it without repentance over the bulk of his adult life. That's what's hard. And that's why we need to listen to James that the problem we all have is in our heart. 
And James in this first section says that what is in our heart is revealed in our speech. What is in our heart is shown in our hearing and doing the word of God. What is in our heart is shown in the practice of behavior in terms of how we show who we are in the way we live. Now this morning, we're going to look at verses 19 through 21 because this is foundational. James didn't deal with this first because he didn't have anything else to deal with. He dealt with it first because this is the first place at which we can show very clearly that we are seeking to be faithful followers of Jesus. What is in our heart, I'm going to do this in the end, but I want to say it at the beginning. I'm going to show you in the scripture at the end, but I want to say this right now. What is in your heart comes out of your mouth. Do you believe that? What is in your heart comes out of your mouth. Your tongue tells. And what your tongue tells is what is in your heart. So James teaches us here. He gives us a command. He shows us consequences. And he opens up for us the course of cure. Verse 19, know this. Know. It's an imperative, but it's also an indicative. It is strange. No, you must know this, imperative, indicative. You already know this. That's what he's saying. Know what you already know. You have, as a child of God, no doubt about this. Well, who? Know this, my beloved brothers. You are brothers and sisters in the church to whom he's speaking, and you are loved by God. You're loved by me. Here is the command. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now what James is doing there is he's unfolding for us the three themes that are interwoven throughout the letter. The ears, the tongue, the heart. And these three themes he will... He will uh, come back to over and over again. He begins with the tongue, how the tongue reveals the heart. Let every person be quick to hear. Hear what? Hear the word of God. Slow to speak. Slow to speak in ways that do not encourage and exalt. Slow to anger. The consequence, the anger of man or the anger of woman does not produce the righteousness of God. Now we got a problem here because Paul says in Ephesians that we are to be angry and not sin. So what is it here? Well, the word for anger here is a word that always means, never does not mean this. It means anger that rises to the level of wrath and rage. It is intense. 
It is irrational. It is explosive. It is incessant. It shows the heart comes out of the mouth. It reveals who we are at the core of our character. It comes from someone who is so self-centered and self-consumed that they will act in any way, they will say whatever needs to be said to make sure Not only that they're heard, they're not really interested in being heard, but they want to be heard. What they want is to win, to get their way, no matter what it costs them. Can a person who is not a sinner, who is not a a Christian, express this kind of anger? Can a person who's not a Christian express this kind of anger? That should not be a hard question to answer. Yes. Yes. Can a person who is a Christian, this is not a game, you, need, you and I need to be clear about this. Can a person who is a professing Christian express this kind of anger? Yes. Here's the question. It's the Ravi Zacharias question. Can a person who's a professing Christian keep on keeping on expressing this kind of anger? What's the answer? No. It's not just no. It's absolutely no. Because it reveals the character of a heart that is controlled by the devil who dominates that life. That is why James says, You need to look at this first because when you see people who profess to be believers who are incessantly with intensity acting out this way, they're not saying to you they need anger management, they need to go to a psychotherapist, they need some kind of medication. James says the anger of man, verse 20, does not produce the righteousness of God. God declares us on the basis of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to be right with Him. And from that moment, through the placing of the Holy Spirit in our lives, He begins to make us who we are as His. And when we continue in this kind of explosive anger, this irrational speech, this insane way of acting, we are showing that we have not been declared right with God and are not right with God. Who in this room is capable of that kind of anger? Every one of us. I grew up in a home, most of you know, where I was abused from birth, I guess. As long as I remember being in, in my home, I remember my mother abusing me. I didn't know she was abusing me. It's one thing you need to know about abuse victims. If they grow up in that kind of context, it's all that they know. 
A young woman who grows up in a home where a father abuses her and marries a man who abuses her, people ask questions like, how did she do that? Well, it's all she knew. She is going down the road that she knows. What I learned growing up in my home was when my mother didn't get her way, she, she raged. She hollered. She screamed. She beat with whatever she could get her hands on that was heavy and hard. And she kept doing it incessantly, irrationally, until I submitted. I learned. If you want to get your way, you just act that way. Married Ann. You do know this, don't you, that when you're dating and you're engaged, you don't really know who the other person is because everybody's putting on a show. But after we married, it's the real deal. And when Ann didn't do, this is so hard. When Ann didn't do what I wanted her to do, I learned, play your mama. And I raged. And I kept on and kept on and kept on and kept on until she came into submission because she just went into silence. I never went to anger management classes. I didn't go to a psychotherapist. I didn't take any medication. The word of God convicted me so deeply in my soul through the mentoring of a fellow believer who knew how to be a husband. That God broke all of that in me. And I learned how to love her in the way that God says a wife is to be loved. And she forgave me. When God breaks you, and if you're a believer, listen, if you're a believer, you cannot and will not continue acting that way. And you will not continue acting way and, and say things like, crazy things like, that's just the way I am. Everybody understands the way I am. I've been like this all my life. I'm just like my daddy. My daddy was this way. That's sinning. You will repent. You will seek reconciliation out of deep remorse. And you will seek restitution. You will do what you need to do to show that God really has changed your life. You will do what James says here. James says the cure for this kind of anger. This anger does not produce the righteousness of God. It shows that we are not right with God. If it's incessant, if it is extensive, if it continues, then it needs to be called out and confronted. If this is happening in your marriage, you need to cry. Man or woman, wife or husband, you need to cry for help from the appropriate people who spiritually can intervene. Don't let it continue. 
happens from parents to children. Now, kiddos, your parents not letting you do what you want to do all the time and go where you want to go and be your own person, that is not abuse. That's good parenting. So what do you do? Verse 21, James tells us, you put away, the word here means like taking off clothes, like undressing. You put away all filthiness. The word here has to do with vulgar language. When people are irrationally, incessantly angry, they cuss a lot. They use profane language. That's what this means. Take this off, this filthiness, this vulgarity, and this rampant wickedness. Rampant wickedness has to do with the extent of it. It's no end to it. It just keeps on. Put that off. Kill it. Kill it. Because you're a child of God. Child of God could not bear the weight of guilt if you're living this way. This guilt would over, overwhelm you. And go back to Colossians 3.8. Just remember what Paul says here. And this is not the only place he says it. He says it over and over and over again in his writings. Put away Colossians 3.8. Put them all away. Anger, wrath. Why does he list that first? Because that's what first shows the evil of our hearts. Malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. And then put on, listen to what he says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive. Receive, you're reading the word of God at home, you're listening to the word of God preached and taught in church, you receive with meekness, you submit yourself to the authority of the word of God. Please, my friend, don't say, I know I'm a Christian because I walked down the aisle. I know I'm a Christian because I gave my life to Jesus. If you're living like that and you're continuing to live like that, you need Jesus. And Jesus wants to save you. Receive with meekness. The word of God that he's put in your life and that word is able to save your souls. Warren Wiersbe says that every believer needs to know this. We must receive the word of God. We must practice the word of God. That is live it out and we must share the word of God with others. Very quickly turn to Psalms because every Every issue we face in life, I wish we could get this. I wish I could get this better. Every issue we face in life has its answer in the Word of God. Psalm chapter 4. Go to Psalm 4. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O oh, men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know, same word that James uses in 119, know what you know. The Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The ungodly don't belong to God. He's sovereign over them, but he is not their God. But the Lord hears when I call to him. Verse 4, be angry and do not sin. 
You battle anger, anger, you battle wrath, God tells you right here what to do. Child of God, this is what you do. You belong to God if you're angry and you're acting out and you know you're doing it. Three things. Ponder on your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. When you feel anger welling up within you, go to your room. Get out. And be silent before God. That doesn't mean do nothing. Go pray. Go pray with tears, with agony. Number two, offer right sacrifices. Pray to God. Praise God. Read the word of God. Reflect on God. Go serve someone else in need. Put your trust in the Lord. Trust him. You know what I believe? There are homes and families, even in this room this morning, that, that are more southern than scriptural. How you doing? What's the southern response? Just fine, thank you. What's my response if you say that to me? Well, that's nice. And you know that you're lying. Jesus says, let's go to this text and we're done. Matthew 12. Matthew 12, verses 34 and 35. Listen to what he says. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. You can't use your tongues in ways that are angry, wrathful, raging. You can't use your tongues, brother and sister, to slander others. You can't use your tongue to say harmful things to others about people you don't like. You can't use your tongue to try to get what you want in the way that you want it. And at the same time say, I love the Lord my God with all of my heart, with all of my mind, and with all of my soul. Your problem and my problem is I don't need my tongue fixed. I need my heart fixed. I need the Every hour, every hour, I need them. Create in me, create in us, O God, by your Holy Spirit, 
a clean heart. Bring repentance, bring remorse, bring reconciliation, bring restitution. Bring honest speech, transparent hearts from a transformed life. In Jesus' name, amen.